Listener Production. In this episode of The Briefing, a grieving brother's 34-year fight for justice finally ends in a man being sentenced. It matters to bring perpetrators to to justice uh, after this length of time. That's Scott Johnson's brother outside of court. His name is Steve Johnson and his brother Scott was killed in 1988. His body found at the bottom of a cliff in Sydney. So the police initially wrote it off as suicide, but Steve always believed it was a gay hate crime. The young constable met with me and said, this is where people jump, um, especially homosexuals. Did you know your brother was a homosexual? Which I did. And I could see from the beginning that there was no willingness to investigate Scott's death. So in this episode... Steve's story, his fight for justice involving three coronial inquests, a TV series, a $2 million reward, and finally a 12-year sentence for the man who killed his brother. Yeah, that incredible story coming up after today's headlines. It is Katrina Blowers and Tom Tilly with you. It is Tuesday, May 10. The man at the centre of the Teacher's Pet podcast, Chris Dawson, has faced court and pleaded not guilty to the alleged murder of his wife, Lynette. She disappeared in 1982. Her body has never been found. In its opening statement, the prosecution alleged Dawson was motivated to kill his wife in order to have a quote-unquote unfettered relationship with a school student who he was infatuated with. So the former Sydney school teacher and rugby league player was charged in 2018, which was 36 years after his wife went missing. So this is going to be a very interesting case. There'll be a lot of media attention on it, largely because of the podcast series. And it was interesting to note, Katrina, that both sides wanted a media blackout of the trial, but Mm. the judge rejected that application. The Russian president has told the country's annual Victory Day parade the West was preparing to invade their land. In Kiev, they were saying that they might get nuclear weapons and NATO started exploring the lands close to us. So Putin claims Ukraine had started ramping up military infrastructure and receiving delivery of NATO weapons, and that's why Russia had to act. But the UK's Defence Minister Ben Wallace has accused Russia of dishonouring the World War II fighters. Through their invasion of Ukraine, Putin, his inner circle and his generals are now mirroring fascism and tyranny of 77 years ago, repeating the errors of the last century's totalitarian regimes. Yes, so he's also called for Russian generals to face war crimes trials. Yeah, I think Ben Wallace makes a very good point there that it's almost ironic, um, it's certainly tragic, that the Russians are there celebrating victory over Adolf Hitler, uh, an authoritarian mm. dictator, but they're following a similar path with a, another authoritarian leader invading their neighbours. The former Australian of the Year, Grace Tame, has slammed Anthony Albanese's decision to do an interview with media personality Alan Jones. So this came after um, Anthony Albanese tweeted yesterday, good to have a chat with Alan Jones in his new Sydney studios and there was a photo of them shaking hands. Yeah, Grace Tame wasn't very impressed with that. She tweeted, uh, yeah, nah, this is where you could have just frowned and walked off. Or given him the side eye, maybe. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, interesting to hear Grace Tame weighing in on the sort of media decisions of politicians. Um, 
I guess that's not really her expertise, but she's become such a vocal critic that um, when she speaks, people pay attention. Now, all this came a day after both leaders were asked about their behaviour in the second leaders debate, which I think everyone thought was a bit of a schmozzle. This is Scott Morrison responding to criticism. He was dismissive towards the moderator. It was a spirited debate. I think Australians um, expect spirited debate. Yeah, not sure if they expect you to keep talking over the female <laughs> host, but maybe maybe some people do. I don't know. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes on Channel 7, who are hosting the third leaders debate tomorrow night. So two debates in one week, Katrina. Oh. I just can't get enough, can we? Oh, well, interestingly, pre-polling opened yesterday and I went to some of the pre-polling booths. I actually voted yesterday ah, as part before. as part of doing my story. <laughs> You'll just have to wait and see. Uh, so you anyway, will tell me? I was, I was asking people why they were voting early and some of them even said after watching the debate they were just so over the back and forth and they just didn't want to even think about the election. But other people said that they were also worried about getting COVID. They didn't want to be with the crowds on election day. But anyway, interesting to note that you can rock up to a pre-polling booth anytime between now and May 21 and cast your vote early. And the controversial Liberal candidate for Warringah, Catherine Deves, has wound back her apology for comments about transgender children. Well, I'm apologising for how people might have perceived it uh, and the fact that it is confronting and it is ugly. And I certainly don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, uh, but, but that is the correct terminology. That's not a real apology. She was speaking to Sky News there, but when she was speaking to SBS News, she apologised for a social media post where she described transgender children as surgically mutilated and sterilised. So now she said she was actually using the correct medico-legal term and she's apologising for how people might have perceived it. So Mm. that's a bit of a shift. Now, if you look at that seat of Warringah, um, it was won by independent Zali Stegel, who took the seat from Tony Abbott at the 2019 election with a margin of 7.3%. Which way do you think that margin's going to go after Catherine Dee's performance? Yeah, and if this story or the language used in that story has raised some concerns for you, Lifeline is always there, 13 11 14. Tragic news for Nick Cave. He's just lost his second son in seven years, Jethro Lazenby was 31 years old and a fashion model for Balenciaga and Versace. The news has just broken that he's died. In a brief statement, Nick Cave has said, with much sadness, I can confirm my son Jethro has passed away. We would be grateful for family privacy at this time. The cause of death isn't known. We do know that Jethro had been in prison until two days before his death. He was convicted of assaulting his mother and he was also recently diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yeah, so it was back in 2015 that Nick Cave lost his 15-year-old son, Arthur, who fell off a cliff near their home in England. So some horrifically tragic times for Nick Cave and his family. Up next, we're going to speak to somebody who didn't give up for more than 30 years in the fight for justice for his brother. After 30 years, it was a $2 million reward that helped lead to the conviction of Scott Johnson's killer, Scott White. Yeah, it was Scott White's ex-wife that finally came forward with evidence that led to his arrest. But that came after three coronial investigations into this 1988 killing. Initially, it was reported as a suicide, but Scott Johnson's brother, Steve, always believed it was a gay hate crime. And the third inquest 
finally confirmed that in 2017. And last week, the judge sentenced Scott White to 12 years. Steve Johnson is here with us to give us the full story. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. Can you take us back to when you were told about the circumstances of your brother's death? Did you have doubts right from the start about what you're being told? Yes, I did. Scott, my brother was found at the bottom of the cliff in Manly in December of 1988. And I was a graduate student at the time. Uh, just a couple of years older than Scott. Scott was 27, I was 29. And I flew immediately to Sydney and met with the police three days after Scott's body was found. And they had already marked the case NFA, which was no further action. And the young constable met with me and said, this is where people jump Um, especially homosexuals. Did you know your brother was a homosexual? Mm. Which I did. And I could see from the beginning that there was no willingness to investigate Scott's death. Um, I had talked to my brother's professor who had just talked to Scott the day he died and told him he had just put the finishing touches on his mathematics PhD. And to my mind, Scott had probably put his pencil down and said, I'm going to go celebrate. And so two days later, he was found at the bottom of this cliff naked. I assumed he was with somebody else. I couldn't have imagined anyone assuming this was a suicide on that particular day. And in those circumstances that Scott, Scott was found naked at the bottom of a cliff, but the constable was not interested in pursuing it any further. So that was, that was that. I went back to the United States and wrote some letters and tried to prompt more action. And that resulted in just a perfunctory inquest in March of 89. Uh, It lasted three hours. It consisted really of just the detective in Manly saying this, uh, this was a clear case of suicide. Mr. Johnson went to the top of the cliff, disrobed and jumped was her analysis. And the coroner at that time went along with it, rubber stamped it, explained to me that my brother was introverted, intelligent, and gay. And unfortunately, these are the types of people who do commit suicide, was his analysis. So it wasn't until about 17 years later, 2005, that um, there was another inquest in Sydney. Uh, This was looking at three deaths of gay men who had similarly been found at the bottom of a cliff in Bondi on the other side of the harbor. And coroner Jackie Millage determined in those three cases, two of them were definitely murders, and the third one probably was a murder. And uh, these men, these gay men, were killed by gay hate gangs who would go to these um, gay beats where gay men would meet kind of off the beaten track um, out of the out of public view and assault them, rob them, and sometimes kill them. This news got back to me in the States. And it was the first time I had that scenario. But as soon as I got the news, it seemed clear that this was what happened to my brother. And so then I started again, writing letters and making phone calls and still no action. This was in 2005, 2006. And finally, I hired my own investigator, an investigative journalist named Dan Glick, 
in 2007 who flew to Manly and on his first jog up the hill at Northhead, spoke to a few gentlemen who were working up there and asked if this was a gay beat. And they said, of course it is. It's been a gay beat for decades and pointed over to the cliffs where my brother fell and said, this is where they go and make little love nests. Um, and uh, there was lots of trees, lots of privacy and dramatic ocean below. Dan, my investigative journalist, learned immediately that this was indeed a place where men would go and, and meet each other. A uh, little skulking in the library and public records. Uh, later that week, he discovered lots of court documents that established there was violence all over Manly at the time in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Anti-gay violence, uh, gay bashing, assaults, and uh, a few murders. And this was all accomplished in his first week of investigation. We put that together in a report in 2007, sent it on to the police, and I was still pretty naive at the time, thinking all we had to do is lay out the information and the police would act. And uh, we struggled to get any response to our report for four years. Mm. The police not only didn't act, but wouldn't comment on our, our report. Uh, it was really not only frustrating, but appalling. But Steve, you you never gave up, and it actually wasn't until a third inquest into your brother's death opened up that some new leads began to come to light, and that cold case was restarted again. Finally, we got a break in 2011. The coroner, Mary Jerram, instructed the police to review our materials. This turned into a second inquest in June 2012, um, where the coroner reopened the case. And again, uh, I thought we were home free. We finally got an official determination. This was not certainly a suicide as the first coroner had uh, determined. And we believed that the police would investigate. The police closed the case immediately, told us there was no crime committed. This was not a beat. And, uh, you know, apologies and sympathy. <laughs> wow. And so you kept pushing on after that. You must have been so disheartened, but it didn't stop you. Uh, no, I Kept going. Fortunately, we got a break. Uh, your television program, Australian Story, took an interest in the case at that point. They opened their season in February 2013 with a story about my brother. And that actually lit the first fire under the police to really try to investigate. And then Minister of Police Michael Gallagher approved a $100,000 reward. This was in 2013. And then a strike force to investigate. Once again, um, I thought finally we had action and Scott Scott would finally get some, some justice. That police team um, assiduously for the next year tried to hammer the case closed again. And uh, we furnished them with 60 persons of interest. They rolled them all out within a month. So case closed once again. Fortunately, in 2015, a new coroner came to New South Wales, Michael Barnes, who said he wanted to take another look at this. And uh, he became a real hero for us uh, in this story. He opened a third inquest, which was extraordinary. In 2016 and 2017, uh, he had virtually all of the persons of interest that we had identified and had them all on the stand. Coroner Barnes concluded for the first time uh, that Scott's death was a, a homicide. 
So this was in 2017. We thought that was as good as it will get. Then fortunately, another hero, um, Commissioner Mick Fuller, called me up a few months later and said he wanted to put a fresh eyes team on, on the case and investigate it as a homicide. And he wanted me to come to Sydney and announce a million dollar reward on the 30th anniversary of my brother's death. This was in December mm. of 2018. And I did. And Detective Chief Inspector Peter Yeomans and his team, a small five person team who convinced me then because they were incredibly well versed in all the nuances of the case that they were serious. And uh, two years later, they made an arrest. Scott Philip White was arrested in May 2020. So this reward, Steve, of a million dollars initially from the police, you actually tipped in another million dollars. Did you have much hope that that would make any difference? Because ultimately it seemed it did. During 2019, when Detective Yeomans and his team were we were working on the case. I'd get phone calls all year from Peter saying, we're following various lines of inquiry. Don't get your hopes up. He was trying to keep my expectations low. Then in February of 2020, Peter Yeomans and uh, Assistant Commissioner Tony Crandell called me and their first question was, are you alone? And I immediately knew they had something to share. And indeed, they said, we're closing in on a suspect and we need your help. And that's when I offered to come back to Sydney and offer the second million dollars. I was reasonably sure that's the kind of help that the police needed. And then in May 2020, I got a call from the commissioner saying, we're going to make an arrest on Tuesday. Wow. What a moment. And he added something incredibly... Um, special, I guess. Um, he wanted to take no credit for this. He wanted me to be the face of this arrest. And he, true to his word, waited 24 hours. And then the first words in his press conference were an apology to our family and an apology to the all the other families who have lost um, their gay loved ones during this period who similarly did not get justice. It's quite a moment. Yeah, I I bet it was. Ultimately, though, Justice Helen Wilson said she couldn't deem the killing a gay hate crime beyond a reasonable doubt. How do you feel about that? And now that, that this whole process, you're at this point in time, does it give you any hope with everything that you've gone through that police will deal with gay hate crimes properly now? First on Justice Wilson, I, I actually don't disagree with anything she said on the question of whether this was a gay hate killing. Um, maybe it didn't meet the legal standard for that. I understand the legal standard is very, very tight, but I think most people looking at it, including me believe there Scott Johnson would not have been killed. My brother would not have been killed if Scott white didn't think he was gay on the question of the, what happens in the future, one of the unexpected results of this long journey is that the parliament took a look at the other many dozens mm-hmm. of cases of gay men who died, some solved, some not solved, and finally made the recommendation to form a commission of inquiry, which just got established a, a few weeks ago. 
I have a lot of high hopes that other families will get answers as well. Oh, wow. It just blows my mind how you can stay optimistic and hopeful about the system, given everything that you've Mm. been up against. If a bunch of beautiful people hadn't started to come together to help me here in your country, in Australia, I can't say that I wouldn't have lost hope. (laughs) But over the last dozen years that I've been working on this, many people have joined me for love of my brother, for love of the fight against injustice, that there was something important here. People with good hearts and uh, who went uh, well beyond uh, the call of duty to, to solve this. And so that made it a whole lot easier. I think seeing that there was going to be answers for the other families certainly kept me motivated. So uh, there's reason to be optimistic now. That was Steve Johnson, brother of Scott Johnson. And it's going to be really interesting, Katrina, to see if this new commission into 88 other suspected gay hate killings leads to any other convictions. Yeah, and answers for other families too. Uh, If you're wondering, I guess, how Steve Johnson paid for all of this, I mean, he had to pay for a private investigator, an investigative journalist, um, and also chipping in that million dollars extra to match that reward. It's, It's actually an incredible story. So shortly before Scott Johnson died, Steve worked with Scott to create an algorithm which um, enabled people to send photos over the internet for the first time. And after Scott was murdered, Steve managed to commercialise that and and it made him a very wealthy man. So it's kind of a a beautiful but very tragically ironic Mm. story that Scott kind of helped pay for the investigation of his own murder. Yeah, and you'd have to wonder for families who didn't have that kind of money whether they would have got this justice. But the good thing is that Steve Johnson's fight has led to the reopening of all those other suspected crimes. Mm. So inadvertently, those families could have their cases reopened. Coming up tomorrow on The Briefing, we go deep on the rental crisis. Listener.